So I get to end the conference, right? No pressure. No pressure. Um, this has been a great, great couple of days, and I'm thankful. Uh, thank you, Pastor McNutt. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, everyone. My name is Daquan Gibson. I am pastor, church planter, Redemption Church in Bear, Delaware. And I'm the father of three and the husband of a beautiful wife who is at home down in Bear with my youngest daughter. I've been wanting to do that for a while. It worked. I'm surprised it worked. If you could see what I saw, everyone just turned around. So, if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's also in your packet. We're going to read from that passage, pray, and then we'll dive into the text. And I'm looking at this clock and it says I have 29 minutes. (laughs) I will use every bit of those 35 minutes as I can. I will be diligent. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecies. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Father, we thank you for this time and this opportunity to hear from your word. And, oh God, I pray that all that I am, including my name and my stature and even my mistakes, that they would all quickly be forgotten, but that your word would be implanted in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. So, in 1 Corinthians is a very interesting book because in part, in particular this passage, Paul is is giving instructions on spiritual gifts by emphasizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, yes, there are all of these gifts, but Jesus is God over those gifts. And time and time again in all of Paul's writings, The one thing that we see, the common thread in all of them, is the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. If you walk away with nothing else today, I want you to have that. Does everybody understand that? Okay, this is yes. This is no. This is, I don't know. If you walk away with nothing else, I want you to know and to walk out of here saying that all Daquan talked about was that Jesus is sovereign. Because if you walk away with nothing else, that is sufficient. 
both now on earth and in eternity, that Jesus is sovereign. But Paul, he's addressing some problems that the church at Corinth is having, and that they're experiencing uh, uh, all types of weird stuff concerning worship. And in this section, in particular, chapter 12, 13, 14, He deals with how they are abusing spiritual gifts. And in chapter 12, he deals with the way that the spiritual gifts fit into the whole concept of the body of Christ. In chapter 13, because certain gifts were being sought and and chased after for the wrong reasons, he emphasizes that love is a more excellent way. Because the Corinthians were seeking after spiritual gifts in order that they might be made famous or popular, they're seeking after spiritual gifts so that people could look at them. God bless you. No problem. But they want the attention. They want to use and exercise these gifts that God has given so that they can draw all of the attention to themselves. And Paul, he starts to emphasize, again, the lordship of Jesus Christ over all of those gifts. Let's look at a little bit of the context in the first three verses. Context is king. A passage is not given for the sake of a passage being there. It fits into a context. It fits into the the, the context of that chapter, the context of that book, the context of the entire book. So a passage never stands on its own. So here's part of the context in the first three verses. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So in essence, in this section, Paul says now concerning spiritual gifts. And it would seem as if he's answering questions. And in chapter 7, He talks about, uh, he uses that phrase again, now concerning spiritual gifts. So what he's doing is he's answering questions that the church at Corinth were were asking him. And he doesn't want them or us to walk away ignorant. He points them back and draws their minds to, their memories to what they once were. And he says, there was a time when you were Gentiles, there was a time when you were unbelievers, when you were outside of the community of God's people. And he reminds them that, that they were carried away by dumb idols. Right? Not a lack of intelligence, but mute, not able to speak. Idols. And he was saying that these things controlled you. Many of the pagan temples in Corinth, they had these statues that were elegant, they were carved, they looked very, very good, and people put a whole lot of stock 
in those, kind of like cell phones today, but they, they would have these experiences because of these idols. And they would say that these idols gave them the ability to, to kind of just flop around on the ground and shake and, and just be weird. And they actually believed that these idols gave them messages from the gods. And they would say, well, the idol that God told me to curse Jesus. Or while I was in this trance, while I was shaking and and jumping all around, Jesus told me to curse you. Not only that, they also said that these idols led them to some very gross immoral acts. Temple prostitution. Forgive me for this, but it hits home. This isn't just a story for them. It hits home for us. And it just so happens that the news is talking about us now. But some of these very same things. That there are sick and perverted individuals that claim to be priests. And they say that, well, my God said that these actions were okay. Paul, he's saying that such conduct it is utterly unbecoming of those who are in Christ. Why? Because the very gifts that you have come from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does not lead in that direction. He makes it very clear that, that the work of the Holy Spirit must be discerned with respect to its expressions. For, for example... He says that no one that is speaking by the Spirit will ever say that Jesus Christ led them to curse anyone. He says the only way that you could ever say that Jesus Christ is Lord is by the Spirit. So he he draws that line and says, no, 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 no. In essence, the Holy Spirit only leads you to holiness, righteousness, and not into that other polluted stuff. To where are you going with this, Daquan? Well, one is that we need to be discerning when it comes to claims of spiritual experiences. You, you're all called and gifted. Absolutely, we heard that very clearly. If you are, let me, let me, let me, let me clear this up. If you are in Christ, you are called and gifted. If you are a Christian. If Jesus Christ died for your sins and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then you are called uniquely and gifted uniquely. And your experience, just because someone claims to be spiritual, it doesn't mean that what they are doing and saying is a work of the Holy Spirit. So we all, those of us who are in Christ, we need to make sure that we are being discerning. 
We need to hold all things up to the light of the Word of God. That's the first three verses. Verses 4 through 6. And Paul is, is really beginning to make it clear that all of our gifts, all of our gifts are under the lordship of the triune God. He, he goes on to speak of true spiritual gifts that, that, that are works of God. And first, he, he makes it clear that there are a, a diversity, if you will, of, of gifts. The, the word is literally charismata. Right? And, and I think that's a word. Someone said earlier that we need, there are certain words we need to reclaim. And charismatic is one of them. Amen? As a Christian, we are charismatic. But there are some who have co-opted that word and it has become kind of an ugly word. But all of these diversity of gifts, they come from the same spirit. He goes on to affirm that, that there are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. See, in the church, there, there are a variety of different ministries that, that meet the variety of needs that are in the body of Christ. But there is only one Lord that rules over all of them. And then finally, he says that there are a diversity of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. The gifts that you have been given in Christ, that they empower the ministries that lead to the activities that meet the needs within the body, but it is all done under the power of one God. There was only one Lord and one ruler of those gifts. Did everyone take their, their, their gift test? Yes, and I see a couple hands went up. Raise your hand if you took your gift test. So the rest of you were just a disobedient. <laughs> Whatever that gift test told you, your gift mix was. Hear this. That your gifts are not subject to men. They're not subject to you. But they're subject to God. See, it's important to notice that, that God rules over everything including your gifting, including what you've been called to. And it's also important to, to, to notice that, that the God who rules over these gifts is a triune God or the triune God. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in the workings of the body of Christ. In verse 4, it's the, the Spirit the Son in verse 5, and the Father in verse 6. The, the, the gift itself comes from the Spirit. The ministry comes from the Lord. And when you think about it, that makes logical sense. Because he's the Lord, the Master, the one who says, go here and do this or go here and do that. And the effect of your calling, the effect of your gifting, the impact or effect of it comes from the Father. The Father is the one who brings forth the harvest. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. So whatever you do to serve the Lord, whatever your gifting is, 
remember that the gift is from the Spirit, the ministry is from the Lord, and the effect or the outcome of that gift is from the Father. So that from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. And then he goes on in verses 7 through 11, and he tells us that the gifts are distributed as the Holy Spirit wills. See, the gifts are not given only for the benefit of the ones who receive them. So your gift isn't just for you. And some of you have been called to teach. You've been gifted to teach. What are you doing with it? Are you teaching? And some of you are gifted to edify others. What are you doing? What are you doing with your gift? Are you holding it just for you? So that you can brag about it? So that you can feel good about yourself? No, 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 no. Please don't. Because if these gifts draw attention to you, then they are being abused. The gifts in verse 7 are clearly called the, the manifestation of the Spirit. But they're given for the profit of the body of Christ. See, in the end, all of the distribution of these gifts, they, they, they work for the benefit of the whole body because the one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each individually as he wills, as he sees fit. How inappropriate then is it for someone to claim and I love what was said earlier. How, how inappropriate is it for someone to claim spiritual uh, leadership or, or, or spiritual superiority over someone else? Because they've been given a different gift. If it's given by the Spirit, then it is given as He wills for the benefit of the body and for the glory of Jesus Christ. He, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that everything, that in everything, he might be preeminent. So your very gifting, the thing that you've been called to do, the thing that you've been equipped to do isn't just for you. It is so that the body might be edified and Jesus Christ might be glorified. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ is the head of the body, the church. In other words, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is chief Lord and master. Jesus is all that there is. And in verse 11 of the same chapter, or in Colossians chapter 1, we're told that Christ is all and in all. So Jesus is the head of the church in, in, in the sense that He has all the authority of the church. In other words, the church is not ours. It's not yours. The gifting that you've been given is so that the body, the church, might grow. That it might benefit, that it might mature. So then the very gifts that you're given for the maturity of the body, if they're not yours and the church isn't yours, well then... You're not yours. It's his. Jesus died for the church. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. The church is his. 
And therefore, our gifts are given that the church might be edified and that he might be glorified. So Jesus, and Jesus alone is to be exalted. Jesus, and Jesus alone is to be worshipped. Jesus, and Jesus alone is to receive all the glory from your gifting. Jesus, and Jesus alone is to be the center of attention in the church. Every song, every sermon, every prayer, every lesson, every testimony, every gift, everything that we do and everything that we allow in the church must be to serve and exalt Jesus or it has no place in our homes and no place in our lives or no place in the church. We have this promise that even now as we work through our giftings, right, and we're trying to discover what they are, you're going to mess up. You're going to. If you haven't figured that out now, then I I don't know what you've been doing. If you haven't figured out yet that you are going to mess up, or better yet, maybe you think you won't mess up. And if that's the case, then we should worship you. But you're going to get some of this stuff wrong. But Jesus is maturing you. He's growing you. He's preparing you for that one moment. And beloved, one of my favorite passages in John chapter 3, and this was especially true for me as a teenager, and I know it's true for you, but I found a lot of hope in my walk with Christ in John chapter 3. He says, beloved, we don't know what we are now. We don't know what we will be. And I would imagine that some of you were there now. I'm 43. I just turned 43 in February, and I'm a pastor. And I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be. I know what I am now, and I rest in the fact that I am a child of the king. I enjoy that I find my identity there. I've played basketball, I've coached basketball, I've done a lot of things, I've traveled, but none of those things define me. I am defined by the blood of Jesus Christ. So even in my gifting and me messing up, I find hope there. Because he says, you don't know what you will be, but the one thing that we do know is that when we see him, we will be made just like him because we will see him for what he is. I don't know if you catch that. So work out your gifting now. Discover it now. Pursue it now. Don't worry about messing up. Because Christ is going to crack open the sky and say, come on, and at that moment, you will be perfected. Meaning that you will be exactly like he is now. So run hard. Pursue the gifts for the sake of Christ's glory, not your own. You have been bought with a price and given a purpose, given a reason to wake up. The culture says that you are to be one thing. Jesus Christ says that you are something else. Your mind tells you that you are one thing. Jesus Christ says that you are holy and loved by a sovereign God. You might be saying to yourself, there's no way in the world that anybody could love me. 
Jesus is saying, I loved you before you were. So in all that you are called to do, do it that Christ might be glorified and that the church might be built up. Someone, somewhere, is waiting for your ministry. The word minister means servant. Someone is waiting for you to use the gifts that you have that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might see the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you waiting on? Don't wait. I don't care how old you are. Get to work. These were young dudes. They were young. I'm, I'm now, according to my daughter, I'm old. I, I take that. I, I'm all right with that. I didn't expect to see 21. So for her to call me old, it's like, yeah, that's right. I'm alive. And I just discovered that Facebook is like for old people. I, don't laugh. Don't laugh. I, I was speaking to a group at, at the Univers- or at Delaware State, and I'm witnessing and I'm, I'm telling them, you know, I'm here for you. I, I'll give you my phone if I could ever do anything for you. I, I'm here to help you. Uh, you can hit me up on Facebook. And I just looked at a couple of them, and they were all like, Did I say something wrong? They said, well, only old people on Facebook. You can hit me up on Instagram. And they, okay, well, 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 and all of a sudden I felt my phone vibrate. So they went to Instagram that quick. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm old. But don't wait. Don't wait. Young people, do not wait. Jump in now. Put some pressure on your pastor, okay? And if your pastor is here now, I'm I'm leaving very quickly, but put some pressure on your pastor to be used in the ministry. I believe the Lord is calling me to this, but be prepared because they're going to say, okay, well, why? So you better have an answer. But put some pressure on them now to be used in the ministry. This world has nothing to offer, and and in more cases than not, you're waiting until you experience the world before you run to Christ. The worst thing in the world that you could do is have that experience for yourself. So let me give you a hint. Let me give you an upper hand. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. I did it. I tried it. I've been there, done that. I have the battle scars to prove it. There's nothing there. You want to be happy. The world is telling you that you should be happy. I don't care about your happiness. Happiness means nothing. Happiness is dependent upon what happens to you and how you respond. What I want for you and what I know is there for you is the joy of the Lord. It doesn't go anywhere. So seek his pleasure. And in him, oh, you'll find so much joy. Start now. Don't wait. Start now. Serve him now in your youth. Amen? Amen. I got two minutes left. A true two minutes. I didn't go over. That's rare. 
Huh? <laughs> Thank you. But I got to save some voice for tomorrow. Um, but I make the same offer that I, I make every young person I talk to. If I could ever be there for you, if I could ever help you. And I'm sure everyone that was up here this morning on this platform will say the exact same thing. Contact us. We're here for you. We serve the Lord by serving you. Because you're part of the body of Christ. You're my brother. You're my sister. And if you grow, then that means our family grows. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we are able to gather together and to hear from your word. Oh, Lord, I pray that your word would fall on, on fertile soil and that it would produce much fruit. Oh, Lord, we pray that you are glorified here. We thank you and we honor you in Christ's name. Amen.